Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome back to the Once Bitten podcast. Joining me on this rip, personal friend and Uber Maxi, Nathan Day, who I managed to help into the rabbit hole, although he was very much already primed. And you may remember his first tweet. If you haven't, go check it out. But he has the most amazing overlander. A converted old Mercedes truck into the most incredible motorhome. That's the wrong word for it. I don't know what else to call it. It's a beast. It's an unbelievable rig. I've had the pleasure of being shown around it. My kids, Some of my kids have had the pleasure of even sleeping in it. And Samuel found himself waking up one morning in the pits of Silverstone in the paddock area where we went to go and watch as a family the Bitcoin racing team in action one Sunday afternoon. He's a great Bitcoiner and he's built BTC maps and that's what we talk about. We talk about world schooling, taking your kids out of school, traveling with them, overlanding, finding Bitcoin, building BTC maps and lots of other pleb maxi stuff. So thanks for coming on Nate, really appreciate what you're doing for the space. Uh, if you guys are not stacking sats at these ridiculous prices, you absolutely 100% should be. Keep your foot on the gas. Many people who have come before you have always regretted losing their conviction in a bear market. You could be making hay whilst the sun shines right now. Set up your DCA plans. You can use swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten in the US. If you use that link, that will get you a 10 free bucks when you sign up. Across Europe, you can use relay, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H forward slash bitten. Same thing applies. You're going to get a cut on commission, I believe. I'm going to have to check exactly what that is because um, they change things around from time to time. But they've got some big announcements just come out as well and you can smash by it with Relay. Both of these companies run a white glove service, a private service if you are looking to put on a bigger size and take real advantage of these low prices. Let me know and I can put you straight in touch with Corey or Julian or whoever looks after that white glove service for you. Please DM me. Coincorner.com have you covered across Europe and the UK. You can stack with those guys, set up your auto buys, order your bolt card and loads of other stuff that coming out of Coin Corner as well. Then take control of your coins. That's the big thing you wanna do. Consider running them through a coin join service for those of you who are more advanced. You can go to wasabiwallet.io, download the wallet on your laptop, hit the receive button, send some sats through, see if you like it, fall down the rabbit hole of CoinJoin, but please take control. If you're not ready to CoinJoin, doesn't matter. Get a hardware wallet. You've got to have a signing device. You can use the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition hardware wallet from shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten and use the code bitten for a 5% discount at checkout. 
on all of their products. Here's my rip with Nathan Day. All right, brother. Cheers. I got the beer. You got the red wine. Good to have Good you. Doing? Nathan Day <laughs> in the house. Good to hey, be here, man. Good to have you on. Good to have you on. Always, always fun to chat anyway. But uh, I've got two sidekicks with me because you're a, a big um, fan favorite, obviously. Most. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you're not talking about Okay. Um, you're, uh, you're on. Okay, so my question is what do you like about Bitcoin? What do I like about Bitcoin? What don't I like about it? Look. Yeah, I mean, just everything. Um, I think the fact that it cuts across so many areas, code and math and politics and economics, uh, incentive structures, just everything. Bitcoin so, is that, that, that was a fast answer. Yeah. That's the fastest <laughs> that I've ever heard. Wait, Daddy, did you ask him to come? Yeah, of course. Okay, so why did you say yes when my dad asked you to come on the show? Because uh, it's always good hanging out with you guys anyway. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> yeah. And why not? It's good to chat about Bitcoin with Bitcoiners. <laughs> yeah, it normally is fun. More fun. Yeah. Okay. So my first question was What is? What is? Um who had the idea of making Satsman? Great question. So it was, a, it was a joint idea between me and Sam. Um, so we were walk, on a family walk up in Edinburgh, actually. Um, and, and yeah, we'd already, well, Sam had already created the first two games with like just a simple donation QR code. And then, yeah, we normally have our best chats, family chats when we're, when we're hiking. So we were just talking rubbish for hours about different ideas and yeah that just came about and then we started getting into all of the different details and um yeah just worked it as we were walking around for those that don't know samuel what is satsman so it's pretty much like um pac-man pretty much like pac-man satsman <laughs> and instead of having ghosts it's like fiat coins and chasing you around or chasing Pac-Man around. Sats man, I mean. It's not the yeah. coins that are chasing though. They're different coins. No, they're like dollars. Oh, they're S coins. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um we call them we call them Shizer coins. Ship coins, but that's too close to the S words. <laughs> it's a bit like the card game, uh, yeah. Head. Yeah. yeah, you play Shizerhead? Yeah, we, I, I, I told Sam about it, which is, I think you yeah. taught him how to play it, didn't you? When we yeah, were... we played it at our grandparents' house. Well, yeah, mm. so, so that's, that's, more, that's your no, that's like, okay, so. That was with the the sauna steak huts thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now this is a question about your truck. Why did you decide to buy it? Um, because we wanted some freedom. Um, and and this was before Bitcoin, by the way. So 
we were we were already searching for freedom at that point. Um, and yeah, if you've got your own vehicle and you can be off grid and travel wherever, then that's that's kind of the ultimate freedom. All right. Well, that's question time over, guys. Yeah. Say good night. No, no. No. Okay. Neither. Say good night. <laughs> night, guys. See you soon. See you again soon, maybe. Bye. Yeah, absolutely. Ciao. Madness. <laughs> oh, that had to end soon. They were, they were, before we even pressed record, they were driving me crazy. Fighting and arguing and anyway. Wow. One of those days. What, 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 yeah, it was been fine up until that last two minutes before you joined the Zoom call. Anyway, good to have you on, brother. It's uh, yeah, good to see you, man. Always, always good to uh, to hang out and um, to connect again with with people that you've actually got to meet in real life, which we've done a fair amount of, to be honest, uh, over the it's last. Been busy. <laughs> <laughs> running into you at the conferences and uh, then. Um, at the Bedford game at Silverstone, and then when you dropped past, uh, you you were off to the musical festival, and you, you managed to stop by my parents for the night in the rig. Uh, it's been... Just about managed to get it down the driveway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we got to talk about the rig and your very first tweet to introduce yourself to Bitcoin Twitter with that picture of the rig. Uh, and I will put this out on the tweet thread when I um, when I release the episode, so everybody that uh, anybody that hasn't seen it uh, can get up to speed on what we're talking about. And you brought it obviously to the um, the BTC Adventure Weekend as well. Big shout out to yeah. the Avon Valley Adventure Park for for that conference in in early July. God, time's flown. Uh, yes. So, what led up to you buying it? Before before you you got to that point of throwing everything against the 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 social norms, checking out of your fiat life, and then buying a most amazing overlander to take all around South America. Like it's a crazy crazy story. So <laughs> lead us up, lead us up to. That point. What what were you doing uh, beforehand? And then we'll talk about you know coming to that crunch decision. Yeah, so we were we were leading the the usual fiat life. Everyone's running around, super busy. Kids at a bunch of uh, different sort of activity clubs and stuff. So like super busy life. Um, I had worked, um, I founded a software business with a couple of other guys and that had been running for what, 10, 11 years. Um, and we, we bootstrapped that thing. Um, so not taking any external funding and really sort of grafted to, to build that business up um, over that decade or so. Um, a, a trade sale uh, presented itself that we, we ended up taking, long story short, which effectively gave us a little bit of financial freedom to be able to just stop for a while uh, and just take a pause. Um, and then, yeah, just again, we were on one of these family hikes and uh, me and my wife, Laura, were talking to each other about, you know, what what should we do with this, this pause? You know, should we look for the next thing or, you know, whatever else? Um, and then we, we just asked us, ourselves the question, 
Uh, if we were terminally, terminally ill now and we had two years left, what would we do? Um, and the answer for both of us was because we traveled in our past uh, and backpacked and stuff was to, well, we, we go traveling with the family. We'd, uh, we'd, we had a motorhome at that point. We said we'd, we'd get a, a bigger rig and we'd just go around the world for a while. Um, and then once you've asked yourself that question, um, we, we were searching for, for reasons not to do it and, and we couldn't find a single reason not to do it. Um, so that then quickly escalated into kind of planning um, the whole overland space is its rabbit hole in itself. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we quickly sort of fell down that. Um, we we ended up, I flew out to Germany and bought uh, an old, a 16-year-old uh, truck, eight-ton um, flatbed truck. Uh, and then we, we worked with a Dutch company to convert that into kind of off-grid uh, overland uh, vehicle um so when was that i mean that was probably back end of 2018 and we were on the road by june 2019 um which is for for overland build i mean these things can take two years sometimes um so yeah it was it was pretty pretty fast moving from uh, kind of everyday life to Right, we're we're off into a into a very small box with two kids <laughs> for for an unknown amount of time. So. All right, so many questions. <laughs> Trying to put myself in the shoes of the plebs that are listening. Um, obviously, uh, m- most people um, are not going to have that kind of windfall of cash. But you know, by the by, you, you don't need that generally. Um, no. I want to make that point very, very clear. If you want to go traveling, it's generally cheaper to travel long term than it is to sit still in your own um, uh, hamster life, uh, yeah, existence as it is at the moment. But a lot of people fall down at the point of, oh, well, I got kids. They're in school. That's that for the next 15 years. Yeah, for sure. And people thought we were absolutely crazy because uh, where we are in South Manchester, it's kind of where... I don't know. It's where all the the lawyers live, and it's kind of the uh, one of the better areas of South Manchester. And people are commuting up into the city and stuff. So that goes with the you know the good schools and the small catchment areas. Uh, so our kids were in a, a single intake primary school, um, which everyone strives to get into and rents out houses and does all the the nonsense you have to do to get into these places um and and we were we were giving that up because if you pull your kids out of school in the uk then then it, then they're out uh if they want them back in again then you join the back of the queue and you've got to go through all the the same process again um so yeah people were like well you know what are you doing <laughs> Um, but we didn't we didn't mind that one because going back to the question we asked ourselves, you know, we nobody knows how long we're going to be here, so uh, we we felt that we had to take take an opportunity whilst it was there on the plane. As we say in the homeschool world, it's 
you can undo these things. So there might be friction in terms of re-entering schooling or whatever, but um, there's no huge risk, really. You know, what would happen? The kids might go to a different school if, you know, after two months, if we're all screaming at each other on the road and it's miserable, then guess what? We we turn around, we come home, we restart the, the old life. But um, if you don't try these things, then you'll never know, right? Yeah, 100%. So how did you source the vehicle? Like what, what rabbit holes were you falling down when you were doing your research? And so if you already had a camper van, why not just go in that? What was like... Uh, yeah, so so we got a, a just a normal motorhome a, a couple of years prior to that, um, and we were doing uh, kind of long summers. Um, we'd uh, I managed to get some time off work, and we'd we'd eat out one summer like an extra month, so we 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 pulled the kids out of school a little earlier. So we had built up to, you know, are we able to live this quite a confined life? Uh, you've got very small inside space but you've actually got a lot of outside space because you tend to be you know in, in on beaches or in forests or whatever um so we we kind of knew what it was to be you know motorhomers and we, we knew what worked and what didn't work um and we also knew for something bigger you just need more off-grid capability um and so that's the real definition difference between you know, standard motorhoming and, uh, and and overlanding, which is uh, the the minimization of any reliance you have on power, you know, having to plug in water, so the size of your uh, tanks that you have on board, um, battery capacity, um, whether you've got uh, different uh, fuel supplies. So uh, we cooked with gas, but we could use electricity if we had a problem with gas. Um, we have uh, heating with diesel. Um, so, you know, we've got three types of fuel on board uh, that can be used for a variety of different things. So you could lose one of them and it wouldn't be a disaster. Um, so, yeah, the whole overlanding world is really more about being off grid and being resilient to failures of, of subsystems effectively. Um, was this decision being driven as well by the fact that you knew you wanted to be traveling in uh, like off-beaten parts of the world? It's not like you were just going to go and exactly. let's go to the UK and drive down through France and Spain and then come back. Like You had broader visions of, of where you wanted to take this. Exactly. And um, and not staying on campsite. So we'd already, with the motorhomes, um, we're doing two or three days off grid, which is basically the maximum you can do mm-hmm. uh, in, in a regular rig. Um, you didn't want to stay on campsites because too many normies? <laughs> it's just not, I mean, it's nice for a weekend if you're with friends or whatever, but it's not really the what we were after. Right. Uh, and as soon as you get outside of Europe, you know, campsites don't really exist. I mean, North America, for sure. But, uh, you know, down in Patagonia, even a campsite, you, you might find one every, I don't know, thousand kilometers or so. Uh, and, and by campsite, that is a dusty field that might have a toilet in the corner. So it's not really a campsite. It's just it's just a field. So is the uh, like you, you knew you guys knew you wanted to take this thing. Like across many continents, not just yeah. Europe. 
So right, yeah, okay. we, we definitely had uh, World Trip in mind, um, right. and and yeah, and so you need a, a different beast to do that in. I mean, some people were doing it in uh, well parts of it, uh, depending on where you are in in motorhomes. So, you know, for example, uh, Morocco, um, great place for um, uh, Europeans to go visit in a in a regular motorhome. There's enough facilities around the country to to do that, and it's an amazing varied country as well. Um, so, if if anyone listening wants to dip their toe into overlanding with a with a normal motorhome, then go check out Morocco because it's uh, a good place to to go test. So you drive all the way down through France, through Spain, get to the border, get to the the bottom there, Cadiz maybe, and take a ferry across. Yeah, there's two or three different routes in. Right. Um, yeah, depending on where you where you want to get into Morocco and where you're leaving from in Europe as well. All right. So, well, you guys have decided, fuck that, we want to go to South America. So you've got to get something much meatier. How did you start that? Process? Yeah, so you start to then research base vehicles first. And the thing with overlanding is you don't what, necessarily... What's a, what's a base vehicle? Sorry, mate. Thanks. So the, the vehicle you're going to build on top of. Because uh-huh. you're not buying uh, a kind of a, a pre-built thing, um, and so yeah, then you start getting number one is vehicle selection. So um, there's different manufacturers and chassis and uh, models that you can look at. Uh, and one of the things with overlanding is you're not necessarily looking for a brand new vehicle. Um, lots of overlanders prefer older vehicles because there's less electronics on them. Um, so like a modern car now breaks down, you've basically got to put a laptop into it to diagnose it. And, you know, you're basically a software engineer, not a mechanic most of the time. Um, with some of the other, older vehicles, then they have like limited electronics on it, which were good for diagnostics. So you can get like a low oil light or whatever. Um, but you don't want... You know, you don't want your overlander going into limp mode in the middle of Patagonia because it's got a, a, a dirty filter. Uh, because what are you going to do? <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, people are looking at older vehicles. Um, so that was something we took into consideration. Um, and also looking for um, more off-road capabilities. So four-wheel drive, um fixed differentials, which means you can lock out the wheels um, and a low range gearbox as well, which is useful, um, not just off-road, but on some of the, the um, uh, inclines uh, are ridiculous. And if you've got a bigger vehicle, uh, so our, our truck's eight ton, um, so that we, you really feel that weight when you're going up and down sort of mountain roads. Uh, we, we drove up a volcano in Chile once and and we spent the night at the top uh, and that was a slog to get up, um, even with the uh, the low range. Mate, getting down would have been the one, surely. Shitting yourself. Down was scarier, I have to say. these brakes work. <laughs> yeah, down was definitely scarier. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, once you've got your base vehicle, so we decided on a Mercedes Vario. Um, so it's uh, related to the the DHL vans, you know, the old brown ones. 
Um, so we it wasn't a panel van version, um, and the guys listening can can see in the in the uh, show notes or the tweet or whatever. Um, but we had the flat bed version of that. Um, so yeah, we decided that um, that was the the good vehicle. We I spoke to a load of experts on it in the community, a bit like the Bitcoin community. People just want to talk about the things they're passionate about. Um, and by the way, this was all pre-Bitcoin for me. Um, so yeah, so we found the vehicle. Um, we I put a search on one of the German sites. It came up real quick, uh, which was just very fortunate. Um, some people are waiting years to find just a, a, the base vehicle that they want. Uh, just for some stroke of luck, it literally came up two days after I put a search on. Um, I think the original pictures were quite bad, so it didn't quite look like most people were looking for, but I, I knew it was the one we wanted. Um, but two days later after that, I found myself in some random uh, German town uh, waiting for a wire transfer to complete. Um, and yeah, this, this uh, I think he was a Croatian guy uh, who ran this kind of truck sale business thing. Um, and yes, yeah, so this this guy handed me the keys, and that's it. I've I've now got a eight ton X municipal uh, commercial vehicle uh, in in the arse end of of Germany <laughs> on how trade much, plates. How much did uh did it cost you? Do you mind saying? Uh, no, so I think. I think it was like 28k euro plus the sales tax, so roughly 30k euro um, for the for the base vehicle. Um, and this thing was, you know, an orange monstrosity with uh, <laughs> with uh, with lights on its roof, you know, like you see in a motorway service, uh, motorway works or whatever. So, how on earth did you <clears throat> back? Uh, so I just drove it back. Um, just alone you just jumped yeah. in the cab did, did you just, need a special license for that had you done any testing or the the, the biggest thing you'd driven was uh your range no, that was that was by far the biggest thing i'd ever driven uh, <laughs> it was, i mean there was there's absolutely no way i should have been driving that vehicle <laughs> but uh if you got your license in the uk before 96 which i mm -hmm. just did mm -hmm. uh, you get the C1 license, uh, which is up to seven and a half ton, I think it is. Um, so you'll have, you know, seven and a half ton license if you check your, uh, which is ridiculous. And, you know, you don't get that nowadays for very good reasons. I, I will have that. Yeah, you're right. I will have that. Yeah, so you could drive my truck. Um, and it's, yeah, it's crazy because, you know, you really do need to learn how to drive these things. Um, so you pull out you're, you're like that far up in the air you you're on the wrong side of the cab as well because yeah know, true uk we've got the wheel on the right hand side and in europe on the left <laughs> you just like nonchalantly drive off the fourth court like without banging yeah, into well, like, i was i was considering my life choices at that point because <laughs> You know, it's you know you're committed at that stage, um, and I remember driving back. Um, I, I, where did I stay on the first night? I, I can't even remember. 
And you just got Google Maps showing you the way home? Or... Yeah, pretty much. Um, I did stop in at um, the place that ended up building the uh, the, the conversion uh, there in the Netherlands. So I think I made it there in one in one sitting, and I I, I think I remember we were I was in a hotel there for the night. Um, but I'd only spoken to those guys about two weeks before that, and we'd had a, a visit. We were passing through for some other reason. Um, so we were, you know, early, early stages talking about specs and they were kind of doing the sales pitch on it. Um, and then, yeah, two weeks later, I turned up literally outside with, with a big orange truck and said, I think we're doing this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to be fair to them, it's Twiga Travel Cars. Uh, so check them out if you're interested. How do you spell that? T-W-I-G-A. It's Twiga, a, Twiga Travel Cars, yeah? Yeah, I think it's Swahili or something for uh, for giraffe. Um, and they're a small family-run business. Uh, there's, I think there's only about 10 to 15 people that work there. Um, so they really, really sort of got stuck in. Uh, I think it's one of the fastest builds they've ever done. Um, and... Yeah, they, they pulled it out of the bag, really, um, and managed to get that ready for us. So that was in the January, I think, and then it was ready for us uh, in the July. Well, first time we saw it was July, it was ultimately ready in about September, I think it was. So when they're sitting down with you, like, what's that process? you got to choose your kitchen, you got to choose your bedroom layout, you got to choose your bathroom layout. It's like designing... A miniature house. Uh, obviously, yeah. they're, they're the experts, and they can they can lead you. But I'm just trying to figure out how do you even go around designing it. Well, it was it's definitely a collaborative process. So because we'd live, we'd had a motorhome before, when we kind of knew what worked and what didn't work for us. Clearly, they built a load of overland vehicles, so they had. Uh, their ideas but uh, we, we just sort of worked together on it um yeah we we sort of got the shell in place first and then uh and i was kind of driving that design because we've kind of got like an over cab area and we wanted that so the kids had their own space out of the way um and then after that it's a bit like uh i don't know tetris You've got to fit the things that you know you need uh, in some sort of arrangement within the space you've got um, because you're limited with how much overhang you can have at the back. You're limited within total weight. So it's kind of like an optimization problem then. Um, and because you've been off grid, then you need bigger things so um you know fridge freezer that we had uh, in took up a lot of space we had um a composting toilet um which is different than a normal sort of motorhome toilet because we didn't want to have to deal with chemicals uh, and dumping waste uh properly every three days or something so uh so yeah chemical uh, the uh, composting toilets get away from all of that um do you have the pleasure of using our composting toilet in our not yet not yet <laughs> in our rig how how does it work i think samuel did oh because he had he, he stayed over so we had to we had to give him the brief yeah 
So uh, basically, it's a sit-down only job. So regardless right. of uh, number one or number two, you, you know, you're sitting down mm-hmm. um, because there's yeah, you're separating uh, your your solids and your liquids. Should we say? Okay. So there's a hole for each uh, eventuality. Yeah. yeah, and it you know just naturally works out that way if you're sat down. <laughs> So that means, you know, you can, uh, we, we have a, a tank that, that holds uh, the, the urine and we can dispose of that, you know, pretty much anywhere. You just have to go find a, a grid out of the way somewhere and, you know, that's that done. Um, and then the compost inside, it's all vented. Um, so, I mean, we can go for maybe a month without having to worry about that. Um, and then you find somewhere sensible to dispose of that whether you, you end up going to a campsite um or if you're out in the bush you can just dig a hole um and empty away and, and move on again so um from having to worry about you know poos and wheeze uh, every two or three days on a motorhome uh, you're doing it every i don't know two or three weeks in an overlander so it's just a completely different ballgame so if you mix the one and two you're getting three and three is bad three is bad <laughs> exactly yeah right. three is a gas you don't want to be dealing with <clears throat> correct yeah um so yeah and then we've then you've got to fit, uh, fit in all the other stuff so we've got um we've got 400 amp hours at 24 volts of lithium so that's almost 10 uh 10 kilowatt hours of um energy uh, electrical energy um which is not is, is a lot for a normal motorhome but i mean some of these overlanders have crazy amounts of, of stored power and that's um, just all solar or is there some kinetic energy in there as well yeah so well that's the storage uh, that's topped up with solar mm-hmm. and also when you're driving the um the engine uh, generates uh, through the um, is it the the ultimate? I don't know. Anyway, the energy uh, the the engine is charging the battery as well as you're driving. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if it's sunny and um, you, you're driving occasionally, then you don't have to worry about power at all. Um, so I mean, we went. We went for probably about nine months at one point without having to hook physically hook into power. Um, wow. Yeah. So that then that leaves you with only having to really worry about water and diesel. Uh, and water you can get pretty much anywhere. Um, I mean, even the small towns throughout the world, there's a tap somewhere, or you can just knock on somebody's door and they're happy to fill you up. Uh, or worse comes to worse, uh, because we've got water filtration systems, you can just pump it out of the lake or go find a river or something and, and do it that way. We never had to do that. There was always a source available, but um, it was there if we, if we needed it. Um, so then you're down to diesel, um, uh, which is pretty common throughout the world. But um, down in Patagonia, we we I mean we've got two fuel tanks. We've got primary and secondary on board, um, but because it's a big engine, it's four four and a half liter diesel. Um, 
then we had to carry uh, four additional jerry cans up on the roof um, just to give us the range to get between um, fuel stations down in Patagonia. Um, because there, you know, you can be driving for a couple of days sometimes to between places. Um, and you can get to those places and they don't have any diesel. So it's, you know, we're, we're getting diesel in a week. You're going to have to wait. <laughs> uh, so, you, you know, you often see just trucks waiting for diesel. Um, Did you have any close moments? Uh, no, we had to use the jerry cans, though, in terms of range. So our calculations were right that we needed um, to, to have them. Um, and there was this one, one route that we did. I think it was about 1,000 kilometres, roughly 1,000 kilometres, um, between anywhere that had any sort of civilization, uh, and this is on non-paved roads as well. So at this point, um, so there, was just, speed? there was just nothing around. Sorry, say again. What what would, what would be your average speed on that trip? Oh, pretty pretty low. I don't know, thirty clicks an hour, something like that. Um, pretty rough going sometimes. Um, and at that, that point, you have to also um, uh, down air. So you have to take the air out of your tires uh, in order to, well, A, get a smoother ride, but uh, B, um, get a bit more traction as well. Um, so, so yeah, that was, that was slow going. Uh, but we didn't have to be anywhere, so it was fine. Right. That's, that's some of the things you must have seen. I mean, we, we did the travel thing with the kids, as most people know, for two and a half years. But we were just going from home swap to home swap, not having these these kind of uh, adventures every single day. Um, what you, you must have woken up in some of the most incredible places. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, and then you just get into the absolute wilderness. Um and and that comes with its own sort of, I don't know, exhilaration, but also, you know, you get tranquility at the same point. So, I mean, you, it's down to, you know, we talk a lot about it in Bitcoin, down to sort of um, accountability and responsibility. Um, and, and Overland is a lot like that because most of the time, if you're in some of these more remote places, then that's it. It's just you and it's, what you've got on your rig it's what tools you've got what and what skills you've got um because <laughs> you know if you've got a problem there's nobody coming to help you it's it's kind of you or or there is right because faith in humanity is restored on these trips it is yeah you, you must have found yourself in a few scrapes along the way uh yeah we had a couple of those um <laughs> come on <laughs> <laughs> Um, so there was, we were in Turkey at one point um, on the west coast um, on a smaller island, um, and we we got out there fine, and it was kind of through this salt marsh thing, uh, right on the ocean, um, and we had we had a great couple of days there. We met like the local like hippie farmer girl who'd kind of set this place up there was nobody else there um all great um on the way out uh, i decided 
uh, now famously, to take a slightly different route, um, a little bit of bravado, uh, four-wheel drive was engaged. I thought I was a hero. Yeah. Uh, and you quickly learn that uh, four-wheel drive can't get you out of everything. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we got stuck. So I remember the, the, the front axle kind of went into this area where we were going to get stuck fine. Um, but as soon as the back axle hit, uh, and the majority of the weights on the back, we got five and a half ton on the back axle. Um, it just sunk. Uh, and I mean, like right down to the, the base of the vehicle sink, uh, like could, couldn't sink anymore without, you know, consuming the, 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 the body of the vehicle. So we were right up to it. Um, so yeah, um, I wasn't sort of the, the, the truck's favorite person at that point. Um, so, but, but this is where, what traveling is about. And, uh, and so uh, we, we found a local, he knew a guy um, who had a tractor. So we, we drove out just to the other side of the village. And uh, this guy was uh, harvesting, I think it was apples or something. I don't know, something from a tree. So um, like at this point as well, these guys are speaking English, okay? You're not really. Very, very broken. We okay. were not in a tourist place. Um, mm. This is a, a working part of rural Turkey. Um, and and so, yeah, like the guy said in Turkish, you know, we need your tractor, basically. Uh, and he's like, well, I've got a job to do, so have your man help us finish uh, and we can go help him. So for the next half hour... Um, I was on the back of a tractor um, finishing the harvest so that the he, the guy could finish his job uh, before we commandeered his tractor. Um, so, yeah, we went out, tried to drag the truck out in, in what was a fairly small tractor, uh, absolutely no chance. Um, so, so then he called a, a friend of his, so from the next town, uh, a bigger tractor arrives uh, a couple of hours later. Um, everyone's super friendly. Again, not much English, but lots of smiles. Um, and 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 that that doesn't even put a dent in it either. So we're we're we're, we're more stuck now at this point um, <laughs> because the mud around it is starting to get churned up by these two tractors trying from different angles. Uh, so. What happened next? Oh yeah, so like we all stopped, um, had a cup of tea, which is what happens in Turkey a lot. Um, and then there was a call made to a guy uh, in the next town or the next city or whatever, um, who had a JCB, but we had to pay for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was nothing, it was, you know, I don't know, 50 bucks or something. Um, but we had to wait the night. So uh, so we then ended up having this wonderful dinner um, with this farmer and his wife. Um, he could speak no English whatsoever. She could speak a little bit. Uh, so the, the Uzo comes out and we're all just having a nice time. Um, was this back at their home? Yeah, yeah, right. it was. Uh, and then the next day, we ended up staying in a in a hotel in the village. And by hotel, I mean like you know guest house type thing. Um, because yeah, and then the next day uh, when the JCB was going to arrive, 
Uh, that was only at lunchtime, I think. So she ended up taking the kids out, doing some goat shepherding in the morning. Um, and the, she just disappeared like for you know a couple of hours with the kids. And the kids came back and they were absolutely loved the fact they'd been you know, chasing goats around for a while. And they were like eight and five or something? Uh, back then, yeah, probably around that. Yeah. Right. Um, and then, yeah, so this JCB turns up um, and the JCB end up getting stuck itself in the mud. So it can't extract itself. <laughs> well, it... it to be fair, it did end up extracting itself, but it had to it had to lever itself up on its rear arm and sort of kind of you know move itself slowly out. It wasn't driving out, it was pushing itself out with its hydraulics. Right. Um so at this point we're thinking, fuck, you know, we're we're end of day two here, we've lost a light. <laughs> um so yeah, another call gets put in. Um, and the next day, uh, from uh, something like 500 kilometers away, uh, arrives a, a crane, basically, like a, a full-on crane. Um, so it was able to park outside of this muddy area. Uh, we hitched it all up to our uh, uh, recovery points, uh, and it, you know, the arm came out, and it just dragged us effortlessly out of of this mud um yeah so i mean you know we got to spend a couple of days meeting locals uh, doing things we wouldn't have done um and we got out it was fine (laughs) (laughs) the longest shortcut you've ever taken mate yeah but this is this as you know this is what traveling is about it's about um what what a story Going with the flows and seeing where the flows take you. Um, if you have too many plans, then while you're working on too strict a time scale, then it just sucks all the joy out of the, of the experience. And one thing that I took away from, from our two and a half years of, of doing the travel thing was this renewed faith in humanity. Because, mm. bam, you present, you're presented with a problem you then present someone else with that problem who present it to somebody else who present, and it's going to get solved at some point, right? Yeah. Just about finding the right person. And in your case with the right machinery or the right skills, whatever it is uh, to, to have that problem solved. And that's what human beings do. Yeah. And you just need time and it will, everything gets solved with, with some time and some tea drinking. <laughs> <laughs> or Uzo. Or Uzo. Yeah. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, I, I think we've done the overlanding justice, but if anybody wants to reach out to, to Nathan and, and find out more about how you even start going around falling down this rabbit hole, uh, you're definitely the guy to do it. Um, your first tweet, your first tweet was a picture of the rig. And the first Bitcoin tweet. Your first Bitcoin tweet, excuse me. <laughs> uh, of course. I mean, any other tweet before that was pointless, as you well know. Yes. So it may as well, may as well be your first tweet. Uh, your first Bitcoin tweet, uh, you had a picture of the rig. You're in the middle of nowhere, I think, uh, Manchester countryside, a little uh, weekend jaunt, uh, with your satellite dish up, I think? or uh, It was uh, GPR, uh, well, 4G. So it, was, right. it wasn't sat, but it was... Uh... It was 4G. And something along the lines of um, 
got no will travel or something yeah i was doing the ibd so <laughs> was uh, it was a a weekend trip just with uh, sam my eldest and uh, a couple of his friends because it was just that we come back from traveling mm-hmm. um so this was about this time last year a bit early probably about august of last year um and before that tweet actually i tweeted um something along the lines of uh, right just got back from traveling um i wonder what's next right uh, dot 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 um and i didn't know at that point that you know three weeks later uh, i'd be down the rabbit hole as quickly as you were <laughs> falling rapidly down the rabbit hole which actually, the, the actually yeah we, we, we've we've jumped a step that that's that's right okay i've done you misjustice the tweet i saw from you first of all was just paid for a one-year upfront membership uh, on galileo for my kids feels great right yeah yeah and galileo was it is now cubrio um and is probably the absolute 100% best solution for traveling families or for those tra- those families that want to take their kids out of school. If you've got kids like around eight years and older, um, this is the plugin. And it didn't exist when we were traveling. And, and I was very, very close to the, the founding of the company. So I've got a big soft spot for them. And when I saw you tweet about them, uh, I think we started DMing straight away. And it's like, oh, right, okay. Son's name is Sam, as is mine. They become very good friends within an instant uh, of meeting each other on Zoom. And you reach out and say, I'd like to ping a few questions at you, at you about Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> of course, that few questions turns into, I don't know, hours of conversation like it always does. And then you, you proceeded to go on possibly the, the quickest descent down the rabbit hole I've, I've ever witnessed. Like <laughs> one of those you know, straight drop water slides and you lubed yourself up before you even got on it. Uh, you know, oh, man, that was that, that was a painful month. Uh, yeah. <laughs> In, I remember. I mean, everyone's got their own exposure to, you know, the speed at which they fall, but uh, I, it was absolute free fall. Um, and it was that panic moment where, where's the bottom of this thing? And uh, I, I still haven't found it a year later, but at least I'm comfortable with the uh, with the, the terminal velocity that <laughs> that I've got. Um, but no, that first month was um, it was it was horrible and wonderful, and um, I don't know. I'd like to do it again, but at the time it was I don't know. It was it was quite the ride. I remember just you know not sleeping very much, and uh, I. Sort of come out of the study having not shaven in a week and <laughs> you know on you know just the next thing i'd learn or the next sort of insight i'd, I'd found and uh just consuming content and this was yeah what, i was reading podcasts, uh, youtubes how are you doing it mainly books um yeah mainly books um and reading one or two a day uh, for that first week um just utterly consuming and yeah like laura uh, just you know she was almost at the point where she she had to you know send me to hospital or something it was like one of those moments uh there's something wrong nathan's malfunctioning and uh, we need to go and uh, 
<laughs> need, to, need to go sort him out. But yeah, so I, I think I, I sort of credit you with that final final push. I think I was I was I'd looked at Bitcoin as everyone as did years ago. Um and I think I first looked at it in about 2016, something like that. Um dismissed it as a Ponzi scam thing, uh, as lots of people do at first interaction. Um kind of put off by the people I knew that were uh, in the space at the time, by in the space, I mean, friends of friends down the pub, you know, they've got their trading apps. It's like, oh, I've got, you know, a grand of this, five hundred quid of this. And, and I just lumped Bitcoin into, oh, it's one of a number of cryptos. That all sounds like a load of nonsense. Uh, I was super busy doing, you know, building the business and raising kids and all that kind of stuff. So I don't need that noise in my life. Move on. Um, so yeah, that was the first bit. And then I, I think I had a, I think I, I first bought Bitcoin in early 21, I think it was, um, we were still traveling, uh, and I just, I did, yeah, I just bought some just because, um, didn't really understand you know, fundamentally why, why it's different, all that kind of type of stuff. And um, I think I was at that point, I was talking to some other people and it was more like kind of index tracker funds. So it was like the theory was buy a basket of cryptos, you know, spread your risk, all that crap. Um, I didn't actually, I, I just bought Bitcoin at that point. Uh, and to this day, I've never bought a shit coin. Well done. Um, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, and then, yeah, it was through the Cubio homeschool stuff. So both of our kids had, had met there. Um, and yeah, just some free time effectively to, you know, go go and explore something new because life on the road, you know, people thought we were on a, a two-year holiday um, and it's not. <laughs> you're homeschooling two kids, you're driving, you're figuring out how you're surviving that day, where you're sleeping, yeah, where your fuel's coming from. Uh, you know, by the end of the day, it's open a beer, go to sleep. <laughs> uh, so there was, there's, you know, no opportunity for uh, for, for deep thoughts at all. Um, and and how, I, I kind of brushed over that, which um, I apologize to the plebs that probably sitting there with kids wanting to, you know, perhaps think about doing this kind of trip. How did the homeschooling look like to you guys at that point? Uh, obviously, this is pre-Cubrio where... I'm assuming that would have made life so much more easier. Uh, how how was it when you were doing it? Um, so yeah, Cubio came for us at a really good point. So it came at the end of our travels. So whilst we were back home, uh, I think Cubio actually worked better for us in a home environment than it does on on, in, on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, because we were traveling so much um, and doing so much, you know, we were visiting places every single day. So by trying to fit anything that had an external schedule into that was was hard. I mean, we did it for the last couple of months, um, but it really did limit what we were able to do as a family. Um, And, you know, you can pick and choose what you do at QBO. It doesn't have to be everything and nothing's mandatory. So, um, so yeah, Uh, anyway. 
Um, so yeah, when we first started, um, we did the classic homeschool era, which is do school at home, yep. uh, which totally failed. Um, so, you know, we'd, we were effectively trying to deliver the UK national curriculum uh, ourselves, um, and that didn't work very well. Um, so yeah, we, we were all learning. So we were learning how to be teachers um, and the kids were learning how to be taught by their parents as well, because that's, that's different than being taught by the teachers. Uh, there's just a different relationship you have and um, you know your kids will tell you very clearly how they feel about your level of teaching. Uh, yep. They probably don't share that feedback with their teachers as freely. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, we, we made lots of mistakes to begin with, um, and then you come to the experience of doing it, but you've just got to trust that kids want to learn. Um, and as soon as you take the pressure off them, um, and I guess focus more on guidance rather than you know enforcement, then um, then they want to learn stuff, um, and that's when it becomes more fun. Yeah, 100%. We've all made that same mistake as newbie homeschoolers of trying to, you know, because we come from that system, right? That That's that's the point. We went through that state education system and we're conditioned to thinking there's one way of doing things and, okay, I'll just teach it to you. But when the kid turns around, because they, won't, they didn't put their hand up in the classroom in front of 29 friends and admit they don't understand what you've just said, but they will say to you, oh, no, I don't get it. But then you're like, oh, I just taught you. <laughs> we went through this last week. Yeah, exactly. Which is nonsense because. <laughs> and so it's a complete breakdown. So having put that, the, the, the key thing that you, you hit the nail on the head there, which Peter Gray talks about a lot, is putting the trust back in the kid, back in the learning process that the the you cannot switch learning off it's always happening the fact that it's not happening exactly. to a pre-designed agenda doesn't matter there's always something going on in that glorious little mind uh, and just because it isn't a equals pi r squared that morning it doesn't matter <laughs> you know it, it it's it's such a hard barrier for us as parents to get over just from our own programming and that's why we uh we talk about de-schooling a lot or unschooling our, our own minds but um yeah like you say that comes with experience and going through that yourself but it's yeah hard. and i think uh, and we'd we've not really looked into homeschooling very much before we left you know a lot we left to go traveling and then we knew that we'd have to then take the education responsibility on ourselves. Um, but that was kind of secondary for us. We didn't leave in order to school, you know, homeschool or, or to, to, to homeschool. That was just what we had to do because of choice A really. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, um, we hadn't really looked into it too much, uh, but I think you, you're right that that period of unschooling to begin with, uh, and you hear it pretty much unanimously from everyone who's tried this. Uh, and it takes a leap of faith to do it. But that, yeah, I, I firmly believe that you need to have that period 
uh, in order to sort of just find your feet uh, as, a, as a family, really. And it's a th- this weird thing about responsibility as well, because it's that the minute you start telling people around you, like you attested to earlier in the conversation, that this is what we're going to do, we're going to take the kids out of school. It's like, what? What do you mean you're taking the kids out of school? And you are deemed... Think of the children. Think of the children. <laughs> exactly. You are deemed immediately as an irresponsible parent. Whereas the absolute opposite is true. Like you are now fully responsible. It's on you now. But people aren't ready to face that fact. It is such a dichotomy. Like it's like, no, I'm being more responsible now. It's on me. It's on my wife. It's on us to make sure that they get educated in in whatever it is that they want to do we've got to make sure we put the tools in their way rather than farming it out to the state. That's irresponsible. That's just washing your hands of your responsibility and then hiding behind the excuse of, you know, if, if you experience bad results or bad outcomes, so oh, it must be the teacher's fault. Oh, the school's yeah. bad. Yeah. Or, you know, just in a bad class, fell in with the wrong crowd. You're always finding a fucking excuse. That's irresponsibility but nobody sees it that way until no, you, you get it even more with with private education as well so you know right. the de- default outsourcing to the state but then um there's other people then kind of overcompensating more i think to say well if i'm paying for it then um then i am being more responsible mm-hmm. um, but often, you know, that's just because you're equating the, the value uh, as in the dollar value of something with the, the actual value of it, which are different things. And you're playing a fiat game where you're just sucked into the Joneses and you're trying to keep up with absolutely little Johnny he goes to XYZ school and... Uh, his... Look at his boater, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's such a farce, mate. It's such a farce. It, it, it's um, it's truly unbelievable. But so anyway, you you get up on the hill, you're away with your son and his friend, and you you're having a boys' weekend away. You send that tweet out, and bam, I see it, and everybody starts retweeting it. Look at that rig. This is unbelievable. And then you get Adam back, hit you up in your replies, and I remember the uh, I remember like texting you or something. Holy shit. Adam Bags responded to your first Bitcoin tweet. This is ridiculous. Yeah, and I said, who's Adam Back? (laughs) (laughs) That's how early I was. And, like, I'm pretty sure, I'm certain I I would have read his name, you know, in the the week prior to it. But there was... uh, There was a lot of of reading going on that week. But, yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, so so Adam had piled in... um, with the Blockstream satellite upgrade idea, yep. where we, we could continue to operate um, or sync the blockchain uh, without any um, uh, cellular comms. So that was straight from the Blockstream satellite. Um, so yeah, that was that was a nice moment. <laughs> Brilliant, mate. And it would be nice now to, if, if you can get yourself a, a nice cheap S9, uh, if you ever park up at a, uh, a camper van park where electricity is included, you just plug that thing in, heat up the van. Good heater, yeah. Yeah, I could probably run it off the inverter. I think I think they're about 1,500 watts or something like that. They're not crazy. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, probably wouldn't last very long, but possible right. without hookup. <laughs> <laughs> all right, mate. So that that's that story all done and dusted. Uh, like I said, reach out if you've got any overland interest. Um, I'd love to. I, I've been in the van. I've never driven it. I've never truck, stayed in truck. Truck, excuse me. <laughs> of course, the truck. Uh, Samuel has, Lauren has. Well, Samuel had the best experience camping on, you know, in the pits at Silverstone the day before uh, the Bitcoin uh, racing weekend. Yeah, that was mega. That was that was great. We 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 drove in to Silverstone, um, and we kept expecting to be expected to be stopped at every checkpoint. Um, and we just said, oh, we're, we're here with the Bitcoin racing team. And I think they thought we were part of the team because... Oh, we had a car in the back. <laughs> yeah, all, all the all the teams have their own rigs and stuff. And yeah. uh, and before we knew it, we were literally next to the, the big Bitcoin racing truck, right next to the track. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we spent the night there and it was just us. It was great. Mate, so many great stories. Well, let's get on to... BTC Maps, because here you are, you fell down the rabbit hole very, very quickly, already giving back to uh, the community with with a project. Explain uh, how that went down. Um, so it was, what was it? It was Riga. So Baltic Honey Badger uh, was the real sort of genesis um, of the project. So I was I was looking for places to spend sets. Um, and Googling away, couldn't find any Google, like local Google map is normally what happens. Um, couldn't find anything. Uh, I think I, I somehow ended up searching on the F-Droid store, which is the open source um, Android platform um, app store, um, and came across BTC map. So a guy called uh, Iger had created a, an Android app just a couple of months prior to that. So I think back in June or something, um, which was using um, OpenStreetMap as a data source. I don't know if you're familiar or listeners are familiar with OpenStreetMaps, but it's effectively a wiki, like a Wikipedia for maps. Um, so uh, it's been going for, I don't know, a decade plus now, uh, at least. Um, and what people can do is, uh, they just create their own maps, their own locations, their own roads, trees, you know, whatever, uh, you want to put on a map. Uh, and it's all just pleb, well, not pleb run, but community run, you know, people just tagging stuff in the local communities and, uh, map geeks, uh, tagging stuff globally. Um, it's a fantastic project uh, that I had some dealings with in my old sort of Fiat software life. Um, so I, yeah, we we I remember I was with uh, Black Coffee. We we had a pleb apartment with a couple of UK plebs, uh, which was mega. Um, so me and Black Coffee on the first day went to the only bar in Riga that was was on this uh, this BTC map, uh, and of course it was closed. Uh, so we had to go elsewhere. Um, so I, I then I emailed. So so Iger had, had not been on social. He's on Twitter now, um, but then he wasn't. 
Um, so I managed to track him down via GitHub, his GitHub repo, and, and managed to grab his email um, and send him an email because right at that point, btcmap.org was was literally a white page. There was where you know, did where were you when you sent that email? Uh, I was probably at home just before conference. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, and we'd, we'd started a conversation, uh, but, but, and that was, that conversation was happening over Honey Badger. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, like I say, it was literally a white page, uh, very basic, well, nothing. Um, and I remember I was, I was sat on the front row at one of the uh, talks um, at Honey Badger um, with, with Notepad open. Um, and we'll have to send a link to the, the, the first crappy website that was btcmap.org. Uh, but it was me using my 20-year-old HTML skills uh, just to put something that was better than uh, a blank page. So, you know, we put the, the logo up there that was on the, the app. Uh, and it was just a holding page uh, and, and, you know, contact us type thing. Um, so that I think that was my first ever sort of open source uh, contribution. So I remember pushing the um, the commit up, uh, and I could put it live like within a half an hour. So we went from a blank page then to a a very crappy website, a you know, single page, just a couple of lines of text or whatever. But it moved it forward. It was this this iterative sort of uh, design approach that I've been doing for 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 a long time. Um, and then uh, we, I set up the Twitter account whilst in Riga, um, and just put the shout out to anyone who wanted to uh, contribute. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know what it was. Like later that day, um, this guy called Second Light um, reached out sent me a DM um, and yeah, the rest is history. So um, he's an awesome um, web developer, um, his story. He's actually speaking at um, Adopting Bitcoin uh, in a couple of weeks, um, but he's a he's a relatively new web dev. Uh, he was working in, in the lumber industry like a year ago. Uh, I think he only quit back in January. Uh, self-taught um, web dev fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole himself through uh, COVID, um, and has basically single-handedly created all of the front end you see on, on the web, with Igo doing the back end and um, and uh, the, the the Android app. Um, but yeah, he, he'd also pulled in another guy called Gene, who's done all of the design work on it, and they'd previously worked together on a couple of projects. So, so yeah, we've got this this core team of of, of just the four of us, um, and we've we've gone from well Android app and pretty much nothing else uh, back at Honey Badger, which was what end of August. Yeah, first weekend of September. Yeah. Uh, and we're now early November, so what we two two months, um, and it's just been an incredible ride uh, over that period. We've got loads of interest. Uh, we've built lots of different features. Um, we have this uh, community now of shadowy super taggers, as we call them, 
um, who are working with the open data set uh, within OpenStreetMaps. So how we set up is we have, it's not just free and open source software, which it is, but it's the open data side of it as well. Um, so all, all the data plus the software is, is truly open. Um, and the reason why I think we're getting so much traction is it's the only really way that we can scale this globally. Uh, there's no way you're going to get a single custodian of uh, merchants around the world that accept Bitcoin. Uh, it's just, you know, it's too big a job. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Unless you're... It moves like, so quickly. Well, it does, and unless you're the likes of of, of Google, it's not going to happen. Um, and, of, of course, there's no interest there. Uh, so, so, yeah, we're seeing uh, people from across planet um, tagging uh, local merchants, uh, looking back through the historical uh, data set. So I think we inherited about 7,000, 7,500 locations uh, that had pre-existed. Um, and this was all driven back in 2014, the initial data load. Uh, so it was all on-chain stuff. Um, so yeah, we had to work with OpenStreetMaps uh, community um, and um, figure out what the most appropriate tagging mechanism was for Lightning. Um, and we've got contactless as, as a different payment method as well. Um, uh, and and yeah, you know we're we're busy tagging away. Uh, at one point, we had a backlog a couple of weeks ago of about a thousand new locations uh, that have all been cleared. Uh, by the community so these are guys just doing it bitcoiners plebs doing it for the love so it's like that venn, venn diagram of map geeks and and bitcoiners um, and it's scaling because we're pushing the data ownership down to the grassroots community level it's not our data it's it's your data it's the it's the local meetups data um so we recently launched just a couple of weeks ago a communities function on on the website. So that means you can um, select an area, geographic area, and it could be you know Bitcoin Manchester or you know Bitcoin Beach or, or whatever it was, whatever it is, and um, and that's really enables you to not claim ownership of that area because anyone can can. Um, can have an overlapping area or whatever, but it just gives a bit of a focus um, around what what tags, what merchant should I be looking after as a community, really. Um, so we'll be building out that functionality um, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, you'll be able to start to look at uh, communities um, in comparison with each other. So where's the competition into it, right? The, the yeah, where is the most um, densely populated yeah. merchants? Um, and then the meetups are going to spend like one night a week going out in, in pairs, orange pilling as many bars, cafes, right. restaurants, uh, shops that they can. Yeah, it's the gamification of merchant adoption, effectively. Love it. Um, so yeah, you get communities working, but we also have our leaderboard as well. I don't know if you've checked that out, but we... Uh, we now have the tagger leaderboard, 
Um, and we just we this this week, I think it was, or last week, uh, launched uh, this the badges. So you can get different badges now for the number of um, number of tags you've done. Oh, we were all Cub Scouts. Come on, we, we exactly. Were like... So you know, you you're a whole tagger if you get you know one whole tagger. There's uh, there's loads. We've got the. Uh, so for plebs that are learning about this for the first time, they can just go to the Android store or the iOS store, download the app, and they're good to go? Like, what? what's the... Yeah, I mean, best best place to go initially is just go to btcmap.org. Uh, so all of the download options are there on the on the homepage. Um, so iOS, Android are there. Uh, you, with Android, you can either use a uh, direct APK download from GitHub. You could use F-Droid. Or if you really have to, you can go use Google Play. Um, it's it's across all platforms, but you can just use it on the web. So if even on a mobile device, if you browse to the website um, and open the map, it's a fully progressive web app that can be used uh, on mobile and offline. So you don't even need to use an app store if you don't want. All right, and now you you're on the map and you pinch and zoom and do all that good stuff and you can see what's highlighted in your area uh how well, let, let's say a player walks into a place he orders a meal and he manages to orange pill them um and they're interested in being tagged on the map what process does that player need to go through to make sure they get recognized on the map so you can just um hit add location um and what that will take you to is a, is a web form um, with just some very basic details about the merchant name, where it is, what they do. Um, that will then, uh, the back end, create a ticket for us in, uh, in GitHub. And that yep. will get picked up by one of the shadowy super taggers. Um, and they'll tag it up for you. Um, so they right now, take it up by like putting in the code and the, the, the yeah. So what they'll do is they'll get the detail off the off the issue. Um, they'll go into OpenStreetMaps. Uh, they will see if that location exists. If it already does exist as a restaurant or whatever, they'll they'll just edit that and tag it up with the relevant uh, tags that we have. Uh, if it doesn't exist, they'll create it. Um, and right now there is fierce competition between the taggers. Uh, because How many of them doing it? Um, well, the leaderboard, there's 50 odd on there now. Uh, I'd say there's there's probably 10 very keen taggers right now. Um, but we've run out of new locations. Uh, so we had that initial um, sort of backlog that we had to work through. Uh, so any new locations that come in now. So for example, um, so yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking now. Top super taggers: Bill on Bitcoin Island, Bitcoin MSW, who's uh, our man out in Isle of Man, right. Igor Bubalev. Uh, so Igor's one of the core team. Mate, Bill on Bitcoin Island, two hundred and seventy-five changes. Well, he did the whole island. So these well, great stories. So when when when. I mean, the, the Bitcoin, the Philippines island came out of nowhere mm -hmm. a month, four weeks ago, yeah. five weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever heard of it. And suddenly, boom. Um, and so, yeah, we connected on Twitter and they, Bill's just, uh, yeah, 
let's let's do this. Um, so he just like an absolute beast uh, worked through it all himself. Um, and now they they're using our map. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's the same com uh, similar thing happened yesterday. It was a was it the pick and pick and mix? What was the South African chain? Yeah, yeah, some pick and play or something. I'm, yeah, pick I, and I, play. I, that was it. I, I can't um, remember, but yes, yeah, go on. So within about four hours of that yeah. drop in, all of the Cape Town uh, locations have been tagged. And then when I woke up this morning, the entire, um, uh, I think it's 50 in South Africa, uh, part of the trial, uh, have now all been tagged. Um, wow. So. Done. Yeah, so the the big thing now is we, we have a backlog of about 6,000 uh kind of legacy locations as we call them that have not been verified within the last year or so mm -hmm. um and so we'll soon be launching kind of a bit of a campaign to to go through those um what we want to do is is split them out into probably countries um and then like get some nationalism going and and see if we can get people to to clean up their own backyards effectively is there a business model here? Uh, there's probably a route to commercialization at some point. I think um, if if we were looked to, to to do something commercial, I think we'd always what well, we would always keep um, the core uh, free and open source. So the data forever is open source. The software forever is open source. Mm -hmm. um, but you know you can start to think about routes to commercialization. Um, I don't know certain merchants might want to boost their locations um we'd have to look at that and we'd, we'd look at it very carefully because you know we're not doing this for the money we're doing it you know because it's fun <laughs> and um it's it's a service that's needed right uh, so we're 100 yeah totally and it's um i i know uh you've You've had a chat with uh, with Matteo, who's starting up um, Orange Pill app as well, which makes complete sense for Bitcoiners that are trying to meet each other in real life uh, to be able to plug into real life locations that accept Bitcoin and then, you know, integrate with that. And you also spoken with Andre Loha, uh, who's uh, heading up the Free Madeira project, and you were just on the island, right, yourself? You, we you... were, yeah. So we we just spent ten days out there uh, and met with Andre again, which was cool. Um, and they've got a community on BTC Maps as well. Uh, bit bit sparse on the ground at the moment, yeah. but uh, that's, that's the, the whole point of organisation to push exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, I, I almost, I got halfway through Orange Pill in a restaurant in, uh, well, a cafe um, in Punchal. Um, so, yeah, I think we, we can send Andre there and, and have him push that one over the line. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's some collaboration efforts there as well. So if anybody wants to reach out to you with any ideas on how to integrate it into their own app or their own idea, just reach out, I'm assuming, in DMs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, DM me, Twitter. Uh, you can get me at Nathan at uh, btcmap.org as well. Um, 
so yeah, there's lots of collaboration opportunities. Um, we're working with a number of different people now on map embeds. Um, so that means that they can embed uh, either their part of the world uh, or just their merchants. So if you're, I don't know, you're a, a lightning payment provider, um, then you know you can just show your locations if you wanted to do that. Um, and what a lot of people are doing right now is they just embedding crappy Google Maps, um, mm. and we can do a lot better than that. We need the uh, the Bitcoin traveling community to uh, those that are using campsites to start orange pulling the campsite owners and getting that. Into yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That would be a way to travel to overland, wouldn't it? Going from if you wanted to use the campsites, obviously that's not the overlanding way, as you've explained. But if people were slow traveling around in camper vans. And Bitcoiners, that would be that would be awesome information. Yeah, no, you could do the the boondocking thing. Like it's, it's almost like the house swap, but and there's a the thing in overlanding where there are, you know, static overlanders or people that have overlanded in the past, and they, you know, you can just walk up to their house, you can grab a shower, you can take some power or water, or whatever. So you could have a, I don't know, Bitcoin safe havens <laughs> where you can. We need Go them. and eat some steak with some Bitcoiners uh, oh. as, as an overlander, man. We need them, exactly. Um, and the, yeah, my mum my and dad have got the perfect setup, as you saw, when we we, we chose the hottest day of, <laughs> ever in the UK to uh, enter into a little barbecue hut and, and uh, smoke ourselves up some... And sweat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Well, we're getting towards the end of of this uh, interview. So I've got to ask you the final question, of course. If you had one orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? I thought about this you know, relatively uh, in depth. And, um, you know, you go through all the different options, you know, do I grind it up and put it in a water supply or, you know, how do you get maximum effect and stuff? Um, but yeah. then I just, I just sort of uh, rethought it really, and I thought I'd give to myself, uh, but not for number go up reasons. Uh -huh. um, I gave it to myself pre-traveling, uh, as in pre-overlanding. Uh -huh. I, I think if having now hung around with Bitcoiners for the last year, um, it's kind of a one-way street. So uh, imagine doing the traveling that we had done but being able to meet a bunch of Bitcoiners around the world. Um, because, you know, wherever you go, you would find a Bitcoiner or a Bitcoin community. Um, and they're, they're, welcome, they're so welcoming. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd do that. And then it, I just wonder how that would have changed our travel experience. You're just going to have to go again, mate. <laughs> you know you want to. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I, I want to. Uh, I'm ready. Yeah. I, I'm so ready. I'm so ready to overland as well. I'm going to buy your truck. So let me know uh, when when Bitcoin pumps. I'll be knocking on your door. Done. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll do a, a home swap with uh, with Thai, your, your Thai place, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, you go spend six months out there, and we'll spend six months in the rig. That that would be uh, <laughs> an amazing, amazing deal. Um, yeah. Well, Nate. It's always great hanging out with you, mate, like I said at the beginning. And uh, yeah, 
privilege to have got to know you and to start this com uh, the, the, the conversation and the friendship between our families as well. So thank you so much for giving up the time and coming on and, and sharing everything that you've shared with the plebs. I appreciate you, mate. We're, we're only a year in, so uh, let's, let's do this again in a decade. Yeah, where <laughs> will we be swapping private jets at that point? Potentially. Or, or, or Lambos. I mean, you know, we, definitely we, not Lambos. Definitely not Lambos. We'll, we'll be on a, on a, in a quiet part of the world, enjoying life somewhere. Hundred percent. All right, mate. Well, take care. Thanks for coming up. All right, cheers, man. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that rip with Nathan. Uh, apologies, I think from my side, I don't believe my mic was switched on, unfortunately. But um, anyway, it was a, a great, fantastic pod episode. As always, love hanging out with the plebs and chatting some Bitcoin and seeing what's going through their minds, where the rabbit hole journey has taken them. This is a pretty great case, Nathan starting BTC maps whilst he's in Riga just hunting around trying to solve a problem trying to fix something and bam people flock to him just because he wants to start a project and add something to Bitcoin if you want to do the same people will flock to you too it's happening all the time uh, BTC maps is a great example orange pill app is also a great example uh, I know I've been shilling this for a while. I did join the team there to help just in an advisory role and to help get the word out there. There's no way in the world I could do any of the coding or anything like that that the guys have put together, but I do have a specific skill set that I can use to help uh, another project, and so do you. And it doesn't matter what that skill set is. This is a way that you can start contributing to the Bitcoin ecosystem and perhaps free yourself from your fiat existence if that's what you're trying to do. This is a brilliant way to do it. Reach out to those projects you love. Reach out to those people you respect. See if there is something you can do and bring to the table. We all need to be pushing in the right direction. Make sure you're stacking. You can use the show sponsors, Swan, Relay, and of course, coin corner all links are in the show notes there make sure you're taking control of your coins run them through a coin join service just to test that out to see if that's something you want to carry on with then you can start doing your own research i recommend wallet of wasabi that's um wasabiwallet.io you can just download that create a wallet run some sets through it see how that feels and then move that onto a hardware wallet You've got to get a signing device. You can use shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bits and they have the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition. Excellent piece of kit. If you want some books, Christmas is coming up. Orange Pull Your Friends. Go to Consensus Network forward slash bitten. Use code bitten at checkout. For all of these links, just double check at checkout before you do anything. If there's a code, put the code bitten in. And you can get some streetwear merch as well from Ungovernable Misfits. Take care, guys. I look forward to the next rip.